you, uh, it's already been a great day, you know, we've already celebrated the baptism of Aiden, we've uh, sang amazing songs to God, about God, a lot of you went to connection groups this morning, had a great time at Trivia Night last night, it's already been a great weekend, uh, but now we get to dive into scripture, and that's even, the, that's the best, right? So let's dive into scripture on this very fun topic of love, sex, and dating. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you have your copies of God's Word, go ahead and get that out and, and turn there with, with me uh, or on your digital app or whatever you use for God's Word. Um, we'll be looking at chapter 6, verses 12 through 20 today. And, um, you know, we kind of, we started this series, uh, we're going through systematically, just going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And sexuality, sex problems were a big deal in the ancient city of Corinth. In fact, it was such a highly sexualized society uh, where sexual promiscuity was so common that the word Corinthianize as a verb became synonymous with someone who had become sexu- sexually deviant throughout the Roman Empire. So it was that word Corinthianize became you know, just synonymous with sexual sin all over the Roman Empire, even in a culture that wasn't Christian, right? They were pagan, but there was sexual deviancy was so great, he was even recognized by the pagans. Just like Paul Wright earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where he's talking about this man who's in the church having an affair with his stepmom. Paul said this, he says, it's actually reported her sexual immorality among you of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. So the whole world knew that Corinth was a sexually deviant city. And that sexual deviancy had come into the church. And so we spent a couple of weeks kind of beginning to talk about this. Today, we're, uh, it's, it's kind of getting right to the thick of things, right? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20 today. And just, you know, as you get, we're going to stand up here in a second, but just think about this. Corinth was a city of about 30,000 people. How many of you grew up in a town 30,000 or smaller? I, I, that was definitely me, smaller. Out of 30,000 people, they had at least 1,000 prostitutes. Let me just put that in terms of St. Louis for us. We have just a little under 3 million people in the greater St. Louis area. So it'd be like there's 100,000 prostitutes in our city. One out of 30 people you come into contact with is a prostitute. That's their vocation, right? So anyway... And maybe I just want to kind of preface it with this too. We're going to we're talk about sexual morality today some more. In fact, Paul's going to hit this pretty hard. And if this is a, 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 an issue where you, you feel like you're even guilty just being here, right? You're like, oh gosh, I'm so... I just want you to know that God is all about grace and forgiveness. And the issue, as we've already seen throughout these first two chapters of this series, is that, yeah, it's, sexual immorality is a big deal. It's just a, it's a serious sin. But the bigger deal is a lack of repentance, That's the bigger issue. That's the bigger problem, right? And if there's no sexual sin that you have committed that God will not forgive, amen? That's the graciousness and love of God. He talks about that in Romans chapter five and we even looked at it in some last week that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And we're gonna look a little bit about about some more about that today. So if, if sexual sin is something you're wrestling with, whether it's, heterosexual sin, fornication, adultery, pornography, homosexual sin. I just want you to know that you have a church family here. You have a staff. You have counselors in our church family who would love to get with you, to encourage you, to walk with, through this with you. So that you, one, you're not feeling alone. Two, don't let any sense of shame. Sex, sexual sin can bring a lot of shame. 
Don't let that hinder you. Jesus has already taken your shame for you and for me. He's already bore that at the cross, right? And here's another truth. There's not a single person in this room that has not had sexual sin at some level in their past. Not one. Lustful thoughts, pornography, physical actions, not one. So don't feel like you're, you're the odd person out if you have struggled or are struggling with sexual sin. You're not the odd, odd person out. Can we just get that out of the way? Everybody just admit that we're all just guilty. Amen? That's not strong enough. No. We're all guilty at some level. Amen? Just get that out of the way. So you are not, you're not the odd person out. So uh, again, we would love to meet with you, walk with you through this tough time um, that you're battling as we go into this conversation today. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. So please stand in honor the reading of God's word. Paul starts it like this, with a quote that's common among Corinthians. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's another quote. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Jesus, as we tackle this really heavy topic. God, we ask for your grace and thankful for your grace, thankful for your unconditional love. God, I pray today that there is uh, conviction, repentance, restoration. And like Miss Carol prayed and talked about with Jesus, you're the light of the world. You're our hope. And darkness does not overcome you. And God, whenever sex and sexual sin can happen outside of your prescribed boundaries, it can be devastating. It can be very dark. So God, I pray for your redemption today. Pray for your faithfulness and your powerful presence to be here with us as we navigate this. Because God, it's something that all of us have or are dealing with. And God, it's such a powerful human experience, Lord. And we're just thankful that you speak so clearly to us about it. So God, just give us wisdom and humble hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. Well, if you pull out your... um, your sermon notes and follow along. You also bring it up on your app, Canaan STL app, and, and follow that along as well. Uh, we're looking at our, our big, big question today. The big question is why? Today's the why question. Why is it so important for us to follow what Jesus teaches us about sex and sexuality? So today's all about the why. Why does it matter? I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a, thing, a popular thought process today is why, why does it matter if we sleep together or not? 
You know, what does it matter if we sleep together before we're married or not? What does it matter if I've had more than one partner, right? Isn't it just physical? So all these, the why questions, what we're dealing with today, because that's what Paul's dealing with here in this text. So why do we need to follow Jesus's teaching and trust him and obey him, even though if it doesn't sound like it goes with our natural urges and inclinations, right? So why do this? Well, the first answer to that question, number one, because it is easy for us as followers of Jesus to abuse Christian liberty, right? So Paul begins this section of the text by quoting a popular quote in Corinth, in the Corinthian church, right? And that quote is, all things are lawful for me. It was a a popular slogan in the Corinthian church and perhaps other churches in the Roman Empire, So perhaps, as Paul mentioned earlier, he got this report back from this lady named Chloe, who's a member of the Corinthian church, and she was informing Paul about the state of the Corinthian church, and it probably laid out different things they were struggling with, that's how Paul knew some of these things. And so here he's using the quote to make his argument against the truthfulness of that quote. It's kind of like this. How many of you ever heard the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Anybody heard that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that a true quote? Mm. It's not, is it? We would like for it to be true. Actually, I've never been to Vegas, so I can't say, uh, yeah. But that's this quote, right? Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. All things are lawful for me. It's kind of the same thing that Paul's getting at here. He's, making this, he's quoting this quote from them. And they're going to use that again to show the fallacy of such thinking. So Paul has taught a lot about Christian liberty, though, right? Um, And Paul is here, he's saying, like, look, I'm going to contradict this this quote. Even though I've taught you Christian liberty, you misunderstand what Christian liberty is all about. So some of the Christians in Corinth were saying, hey, we've been freed from the law. And now we can do whatever we want. Paul says, no, your freedom from the law was to love God and to love others, right? Are casual, open, sexual relationships loving, beneficial, and honoring to Jesus for either you or your neighbor? And the implied answer would be no. So here's some, here's some places where Paul has talked on this issue of Christian liberty. Romans 6, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So he had taught that, right? You're not under law, you're under grace. He says also in Romans 6, 15, what then? He anticipates the question. Oh, we're under grace? I can do whatever I want. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? What does he say? By no means. No way. It's kind of what he's saying. He's not saying, "Ah, probably not. Absolutely not. It doesn't work that way, right? So grace is not a license to go and sin. How many times have you said, I know I've heard it said, and I've probably said it myself. Well, if I do this, God will forgive me anyway. Yeah, that's looking at grace as license to sin, which is contradictory to what Paul is talking about. Grace is not license to sin. Grace is freedom from sin, right? So that sin does not have that dominion over us. So the first answer to the question, why should we follow Jesus in his sexual ethic the answer first is because we understand we are so quick to equate grace with license and not understand Christian liberty. 
So another, another kind of sub point here is not only are we quick to equate grace with license, we can also become easily enslaved to the desires of the flesh, become addicted to this. So he goes on, all things are lawful for me, but again, I will not be enslaved or mastered by anything. So being freed from the law does not mean just giving myself over to sinful desires. So you're trying to tell me that just because my body desires something that makes it right, that's kind of the argument the Corinthians were making. That's crazy talk. If my body says, eat a dozen donuts, that doesn't always mean it's the right decision to make. If my body feels like violently raging at the person who cut me off in traffic, that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. We can't trust our bodies. We cannot trust our flesh. What does Jeremiah say in the Old Testament about our heart? Our heart is deceitfully what? Wicked. Just say that. Wicked. Wicked. Our heart is deceitfully wicked above all. Who can know it? So do not... Follow the teaching of Disney. Do not follow your heart, right? That gets you in a lot of trouble, right? Don't follow your bodily desires. And so here, Paul takes his quote um, where, he, where he says, all things are lawful for me, right? Or after that, now he says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. Another quote, and that quote was to him to con- convey this idea that just like my body craves food, and when it craves food, I go get food and I eat. When my body craves its sexual activity, I go get sexual activity and feed my body. Isn't that the same thing? Isn't sex just physical? Kind of the, the idea here. Of course, the answer to that is no. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. Galatians 5.1. Freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And we are free. Amen? We're free. We're free from the power of sin over. You have the power within you to overcome sin in your life. That's good. But he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to this yoke of slavery. When you and I succumb to sexual temptation and we continue to succumb to it, we are enslaving ourselves to it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. A lot of y'all have been seasons where you've been addicted to pornography. Just enslaving or sexual activity, it can become enslaving, just like any other physical activity, whether it's substances, whether it's spending money. We can be addicted to spending money and buying more and more and more. I had an extended family member. She was addicted to buying stuff online. When she passed away and, and the family cleaned out her house, there were hundreds of unopened packages she bought them. She didn't need them. She, she never even opened the boxes. She was just enslaved to that kind of activity. We are prone to this kind of behavior. Romans 6, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. He goes on here, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things in which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us see, because we are quick to rationalize our sinful desires. Paul employs this food's meant for the stomach, stomach for the food, and 
So we're quick to, to rationalize. Oh, you know, my body's craving this, so it's gonna be okay. Well, by using the statement, the Christian's saying, hey, just like I get hungry, I get, I get wanting sexual activity, right? And so the body craves it, it must be good. And so we begin to rationalize. We begin to start saying, well, man, but God made me this way, so it's gotta be okay, right? It's God's fault that he made her so beautiful, right? God's given me this opportunity. You know how we rationalize things, right? Come on, y'all, shake your head at least. Do something, <laughs> right? Don't make me feel like I'm the only one that rationalizes things. I know that's not the truth. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, quit rationalizing, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing, you may discern what's the will of God. Not rationalize, but letting scripture inform your thinking. So that's the first answer to the question of why. It's because of our abuse of Christian liberty. Second answer to the question, maybe, is because sex is not just physical, but is a deeply spiritual act as well. Well, it seemed like the Corinthians believed that sex was only physical. It had no bearing whatsoever on their soul. Do people still believe that today? Casual sex between consenting adults doesn't hurt anybody, you might hear. We just had some fun for a while. We just enjoyed it. We were both lonely. No big deal. There were no strings attached. It was just a little harmless affair to break up the monotony. We both agreed it was nothing serious. Or here's another variation of the Corinthian lie. I should be able to love whomever I want. God doesn't care about who you should have sex with. Love is love. Just figure out what works for you. What God really cares about is that you are a good, honest person, that you love people, and that you are happy. That's another way of saying the physical design doesn't matter. Only, only I mean, the spiritual things doesn't matter. Only the physical matters. Well, Paul combats these lies. So here's, here's what he says. He says, first of all, letter A, is that our body is meant for the Lord. Our body is meant for the Lord. He goes on here and says, the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Sex is not the purpose of our bodies. And here's where we're gonna get into pornography in a little bit, but that's where pornography gets very dangerous because you begin looking at others as sexual objects. That's not the purpose of the body. Purpose for the body is so much greater than that. Secondly, God cares so much for our bodies, our physical bodies, that he promises to raise them. Amen? If God didn't care about our body, then he could just let us rot in the grave, become worm food, just stay ashes, whatever, whatever we do with our bodies when we die, right? He doesn't care, but God promises that he loves our body. He created our bodies. He loves them so much, he's gonna raise them. He values them to redeem our bodies, amen? That's exciting. So one day you will be raised in a glorified body and I believe our imperfections will be gone, right? So no big bellies, right you know no um losing receding hairline guys come on right um no excess weight perhaps no physical ailments right now i got this weird thing on my foot and i'm limping none of that kind of stuff right 
It'll be good. God loves us, and that includes our bodies. Third, letter C, God cares so much for our bodies. Oh, I said that. Come on, click it. There we go. There we go. Our bodies are members of Christ. Our bodies are members of Christ. He goes, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And so shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. This is pretty profound. So if a Christian man has sex with a prostitute, there is a bringing Christ into an unsanctified union with that prostitute. Also in that same sex act, the man has forever joined part of himself with that prostitute and vice versa forever. I remember when I was a Christian, I mean, when I was a teenager, a Christian, I still am a Christian. (laughs) Shocking, I know, right? Shocking. I remember when I was a teenager, that's why I have to read my notes instead of just talking. That's why manuscripts don't work for me. Anyway, I remember when I was a teenager, a Christian leader told us in a group, and he says, Daniel, you want to keep yourself for your wife. Because every partner you have sex with, you're also mingling yourself with every partner she's had. And so she's mingling with every partner you've had. I remember hearing that going, that's gross. I don't know how that works. I don't know, I don't know all that, but that was just, that stayed with me. It's kind of what Paul's getting at here. Is that when you have sex with someone else, you're giving part of yourself to that person and you don't get that back. That's kind of the language used back then, I guess it still is, but once you give yourself to that person, but then you do it to another person, you're no longer whole with that person, right? Because a part of you has gone to them. You know, the part of your emotion, part of your love and affection. That's why Paul, uh, that's why Genesis, Paul's gonna quote this. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I remember the movie Fireproof back in the, I don't know, mid to late 2000s. Everybody remember that movie? It's a Christian-made movie, actually made by a church, Sherwood Baptist Church down in Georgia produced this movie. Really good, Kirk Cameron was in it. It was all about marriage and marriage struggles. And um, there was one scene where uh, a, a black police officer was having a conversation with a young guy who was struggling with marriage and fidelity and all that. And he took a, he took a, salt, and, a salt and pepper shaker and, and like glued them together, right? And says, how would you get this apart? I said, well, if I rip it apart, they're going to break and all the salt and pepper will be intermingled. So yeah, and once that happens, you can never perfectly get them all back out. So it's kind of the way it is with, with, with sex for us, right? Whenever we give ourselves to another person, you can never get all that perfectly back out, right? You're never, you're oneness. You become one with that person. And so this is more than a, a physical deal. There's a, a God-created God ordained a powerful oneness that happens in sex that is so much more than physical. It's not just a physical animalistic event. There's more than that. You become one with that person physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. If you're sleeping around and finally meet the man or woman of your dreams and fall in love, all of a sudden you're not able to give that person all of you. So think about this. I know we're in... PG-13 area here. But there'll be memories. There'll be comparisons. Those images will, you know, flash in and flash out. It's just not fair. It's not fair to your spouse. 
It's not fair to that person you were formerly with. It's not fair to you. So it's so much more than physical. Sex is spiritual as well. So just some anticipated pushback, right? So if sex is just physical, we have some hard questions here, maybe a little uncomfortable. But if sex is just physical, then why is rape so much more psychologically damaging than other forms of physical abuse? National Domestic Violence Center says both men and women are much less likely to report rape than any other forms of physical abuse because there is shame, trauma attached to that rape, making it difficult to talk about even when you're only the victim. Or if sex is just physical, why are sexual abused children so lifelong, so damaged lifelong, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually? If sex is just physical, why is adultery so hard to get over in a marriage relationship? I mean, we cheat on each other in other ways. Buy something, don't tell Tara about it. That's not, that's not right. But adultery is a whole nother level. If it's just physical, why? Or one more. If sex is just physical, why is it that so many of people's deepest regrets are sexual? When somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Daniel, I need, I need to talk to you. I've never told anyone this before. I can tell you right there, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be something sexual. It's going to, happen. it's going to be in that conversation. It's never been, they come to me and say, I've got to talk. He's been weighing on me for years. I cheated on that high school geometry test. Never happened. <laughs> or something been weighing on me for years. 2010, 2012, I didn't pay my taxes. Never happened. It's usually sexual in nature. So that's the second reason. Because of the nature of sex. Third, why? Because we are one with Christ. Verse 17, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So notice the comparison. Again, this is a big part of the why with sex. When we are married, we become one with their spouse as a picture of when we were saved, we become one with Jesus, right? That oneness is reflective. It's metaphorical. It's symbolic. And it's experiential. We're one with Christ. Here, Paul says that our body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, That is so strong. All sin is devastating and places us as guilty before God. But here Paul elevates the severity of sexual sin because it is inside the body, inside the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, flee sexual immorality. We're going back to talk about that. It says, every sin a person commits is outside the body, every other sin, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So here he's elevating the severity because of what's at stake, our oneness. In the Old Testament, 
the priests and the Levites were given very clear and specific instructions on how to conduct themselves inside the temple of God. It was holy ground. It was a holy place. We see Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, they disobeyed the Lord by offering him fire that he had not commanded them to do so. It was, it was unapproved. It was strange fire. And as a result from this fire, God consumed them. Look, Leviticus 10.1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Why? Because they were not honoring the holy sacredness of the moment and the place they were in, which was the temple of God, the presence of God. It was holy ground. Today, we are, you are the house of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. People say today, wait, where does, where does God live? Right? Good question. Where does God live? I remember when we were in Tennessee and we turn onto the road, it goes to the church we pastored, that I pastored there. Elijah was little, and every, every time we made that turn, my son Elijah, who's 15 now, but he would he'd say, we're in God's neighborhood, right? It's pretty funny, right? But, you know, technically, that's not accurate. God doesn't live here in this building, right? Where does God live? He lives in us. He lives in you. God, spirit lives in you. Paul talks about that. The mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ Christ doesn't live in bricks and mortar, plaster, wood. Christ lives in the hearts of his people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the presence of God in and through this world because God is with us. God's not in a building. This building is holy in the sense that we set it aside for specifically use of worship of God. But the building's just a building. We are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so defiling our bodies is to defile the temple of God. We are one with Christ. As we do to ourselves, so we do to Christ. So if nothing more, notice this is an extremely spiritual dimension to sex. You can't have sex with someone and not become one flesh with them. And if you have Christ in your heart, you're actually making Christ with one with that person in a sense that you're having sex with, just as Paul has talked about. You can't separate your body and your soul. We're one with Christ. Jesus bought you with a price. It's kind of Paul's resting argument. He says here in the final verse, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Jesus paid a dear price for us. Now, we don't understand that as much today as we would have back then because how many of you husbands literally had to go pay your wife's family to marry her? None of us, right? Not that the marriage didn't cost money, right? Absolutely, from the engagement ring to the ceremony, all right. But no, there wasn't that, those transactions. But in Jesus' day, there was a price to be paid. If you were to marry a lady, you had to pay the, you had to, you know, there was dowries involved and there was transactions. It was in part sometimes in business, it was a business transaction between families. There was money paid. You were bought with a dear price, the very life and blood of Jesus. 
There's a lot of scripture about this purchase. Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. I will redeem them from death. Those are purchasing words, ransom, redemption. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. First Timothy 2, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So the why's here. Why is it so important? And in these whys, we have two commands. End with these. Two commands that here the Apostle Paul gives us and are following Jesus with our sex and sexuality. Number one, flee sexual morality. This is a, an aggressive term. Flee. Get out of Dodge. Run. It's like the same kind of urgency that if someone were to stand up, and I pray this never happens, right? But if someone were to stand up and said, fire, right? Well, if, if we heard the word fire, the building's on fire, how many of you are going to, well, good, time for me to take a nap right here, you know? <laughs> Not going to happen. We're going to be getting out of here. We're going to be running back there, finding our kids, those for our parents. It's going to be some sense of urgency. That's flee. It's interesting. A lot of times when Paul is talking about sinning, he talks about repenting. When he talks about temptation, he'll talk about like enduring it, uh, trusting God through it. When it comes to sexual sin, he says, flee, get away from it. So let's just, let's just quickly walk through some of this. Flee from sinning against God. Because when we sin sexually, we're rejecting his design and his purpose for sex within marriage and turn instead to what he, and turn what he intended to be an act of worship and self-giving love instead to become a selfish pursuit of self-satisfaction. Flee from sinning against others. You sin against the person you're having sex with if it's not your spouse. Because you reduce them to an object to satisfy your physical desires. See, the Corinthian men in this church in Corinth were treating these prostitute women like disposable objects. These men didn't see these women as image bearers of God. They were something you can go through the temple, pick one up, use at your leisure, and then send them on their way back home. Almost like a product. She was just an object to satisfy their desires. Reducing her to an object is a sin against her. Also, present tense, you're, when you're sinning sexually outside of marriage, you're sinning against your current and future spouse. That's when you look at porn, you're rewiring your brain to objectify men or women, and then you'll begin to look at your spouse the same way and others you know. Flee from sinning against yourself. Sex is so integrated into our souls that what, that what we do with our bodies deeply affects our souls. Other sins primarily hurt others, but Paul says sexual sin destroys us. It's damaging. One author says this in a book called The Meaning of Marriage. He says, even if you are not legally married, when you're having sex with, your, with someone, you may find yourself very quickly feeling marriage-like ties feeling that the other person has obligations to you. But the other person has no legal, social, or moral responsibility even to call you back in the morning. This incongruity leads to jealousy, to hurt feelings, 
obsessiveness if two people are having sex but are not married. It makes breaking up vastly harder than it should be. It leads many people to stay trapped in relationships that are not good because of a feeling of having somehow connected themselves. It's pretty profound. So flee that. Letter D, flee temptations. Don't even put yourself in a tempting situation. Martin Luther said, if your head is made of butter, don't get close to a fire. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Well, when it comes to sexual temptation, we're all made of butter. So stay away from the fire. Flee pornography. Our city may not have 100,000 prostitutes. We have tens of thousands of pornographic websites accessible to our fingertips. Did you know that porn traffic on the web every day is more than traffic on Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined? The porn industry in our country takes in more money than Major League Baseball, NBA, and the NFL combined. Recent studies show that 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. And get this, one-third are women. It's totally a myth that this is just a male problem. It's true, men and boys seem to have a particularly difficult time with it. 70% of men ages 18 to 24 visit a porn site every month. 70%. That means a solid majority of our young men have a habit of objectifying the human body. Most people think of looking at porn as not that big of a problem. It's a victimless crime. Who are you really hurting? Well, first of all, men, you realize that perfectly airbrushed women that you're gazing at is a result of possible eating disorders, heavy editing, and based on statistics, likely a horrible life of abuse, and many of them are even sexually trafficked. Yeah, but it's, it's not victimless. It's nothing to mess around with. One psychiatrist said that porn is more enslaving to people than heroin. And what's scary is the porn industry markets itself even to 10 to 12-year-olds. And they know it only takes three days to become an addict. So how do I, how do I flee? How do I flee? How do I, how do I get help? Remember what Paul quotes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, such were some of you. How do, we, how do we flee? How do we get rescued from this? You, you flee to Christ. You flee to Jesus. Again, such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified, justified. You get help. We have a church family here. We have a lot of guys here who have seen victory in the area of pornography and sexual sin. We have accountability groups you can become a part of. We have discipleship groups you can be a part of. And this is both men and women. Don't face this alone. Get help. We have, we have counselors who are members of this church who would love to pour into you and meet with you and get a plan and walk that plan through with you. That's the beauty of the body of Christ, folks, is we're never alone. 
The greatest weapon of the enemy is to want you to feel alone. And nothing is more isolating and lonely than facing sexual sin by yourself, right? Don't let the enemy deceive you by thinking you've got to face this by yourself. That is a lie to keep you enslaved. Let the power of Jesus free you through his blood, through his power, and also through each other. The beauty of the body of Christ. To come to Jesus, and then from this point on, the second command, glorify God with your body. From this point on, maybe your life has had a lot of sexual sin in the past. You know, maybe you're in the middle of some sexual sin, even, you know, today as we speak through a a relationship that's not where it should be or whatever. From this point on, commit to Jesus, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, I want to glorify you with my body, with my mind, with my heart. If you're married, that means I'm going to have eyes and affections only for my spouse If you're not married, it means I'm going to save myself. I'm going to honor Jesus. If that means I have to abstain, then praise Jesus. I'm going to abstain. We're going to be talking about singleness here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to abstain until God sees fit to answer that prayer, or maybe God has other plans. But I'm going to honor Jesus with my body. That is a powerful prayer and commitment to make. Will you say yes to honoring Jesus with your body? Of course, before you can do that, you have to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, folks, you cannot overcome sexual sin without the Spirit of God within you. Can't do it. You cannot honor Jesus without Jesus dwelling in you. You can't do it. So the first step to honoring Jesus is to be born again, to embrace Jesus as the Lord, the Savior, the King that he is. Asking him for forgiveness filling you with his spirit and you surrendering your life to follow him for the rest of not just life, but all of eternity. That's what being born again is. That's what salvation's all about. So if you've never taken that, that's the first step. We're gonna have prayer counselors up here. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you about that. That is so amazing. That's what Aiden did just a, a few weeks ago. Where are you sitting, Eddie? Where are you? There you are, yeah. Where'd you go? Just a few weeks ago, that's what happened in Aiden's life. That's why we celebrated his baptism today. If you've never given your life to Jesus, that's the next step. Maybe you have, and unfortunately, you've begun to become maybe enslaved and you need to reclaim the freedom God's already given you. Maybe you have a loved one who's struggling with sexual issues. You want to pray for them. Maybe, you know, again, I know we did this a couple weeks ago. Parents, maybe you want to pray for your kids. I, when I was a teenager, it was hard. But my goodness, I really believe it's exponentially harder today. Folks, our teenagers, our college students, our young kids, our kids and grandkids we haven't had yet, folks, they need our prayers. So we need to take advantage of this moment when this horrific truth and reality of the culture in which we live is just so intensely in the forefront of our mind. We need to bring it to Jesus. We need to cry out to Jesus for each other, for our church family, for God to protect our marriages here in the church. Husbands, wives, come to the altar and pray for your, pray for your marriages. Pray for God to protect you. Don't you know Satan wants to put that beautiful girl, that 
handsome guy that pays attention to the ladies in your life to distract you and tear down your marriage? Absolutely he does. Does he want to bring up all these images and memories of other partners? Absolutely he does. But you got to pray and seek the Lord to protect your marriage. If you're single, looking forward to getting married one day, ask God to protect you. So hard. Seek the Lord. One thing Jesus teaches us. What's impossible with man is possible with God. So let's all stand. We'll go into a time of prayer and response. Prayer counselor, you can come on down. It'd be great. Really appreciate you men and women. Men pray with men. Ladies pray with ladies. This is your time to meet with the Lord. Let the Lord minister to your hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, this is a, such a tough one. Because God, as we look at sexual sin, there's a lot of shame attached to it. A lot of guilt. But God, also a lot of enslavement. God, there's probably some here thinking, Man, every, everything God's word says is right and true, but I just know how I can stop doing what I'm doing. Lord, I pray that you would, in your power, just intervene. Transform hearts and minds. God, there's some here who have never taken that first step of trusting you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. God, may this be the day. Because God, apart from you, we are completely powerless overcome this great temptation. God, we pray for your protection on our marriages. God, I pray your protection on our college students, 20-somethings or teenagers or kids, grandkids, kids aren't even born yet. God, protect them in this sex-crazed culture in which we live. So Lord, we just pray you have your way with us here this morning and may our response be glorifying to you. God may even have some here today that truly commit to you to glorify you with their bodies. Pray all this in Jesus' name.